This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Genocide and colonization are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Ospulse Neckpod, the podcast where we bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy memes. We're also the official podcast of the Ospulse Shitposting Facebook group, so if you like memes uh, or shitposts or Ospulse, hop on over to Facebook and find us there. My name is Noon, and with me as always is my every week co-host. Hey, what's up? Zach Snack, and this week we also have a very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Um, I'm Joanna Nilsson, um, and I'm very happy to be here and also see your faces for the first time. I'm Likewise. a long, long-time listener, and um, uh, listeners of the pod, can I just say, beautiful princes these men are. <laughs> um, you flatter us. <laughs> so uh, just a brief introduction for me. I guess I'm a community worker, a musician, a dog enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Um, I also co-host the Chronically Fully Sick podcast uh, with my friend Chloe Sargent, who's a journal for SBS and an author. We both have fibromyalgia, which is a super painful chronic condition. So we just sort of talk about that um, on that podcast and it's for sort of lefty or younger people with chronic pain or illness. Mm. Um, and I also would say I'm probably a survivor of the vicious mechanism of state politics <laughs> and <laughs> and News Limited. <laughs> yes. Well, I am very familiar with you through the Chronically Fully Sick podcast, which is fantastic and hilarious and disgusting and everybody should listen to it. Yeah. Um, it got but, called um, irreverent in The Guardian today, and I think they misspelled irritating or irrelevant. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, for me, I love a podcast that I learn so much while listening to it, but it is wall-to-wall jokes at the same time, which is just pretty rare to find. But, uh, uh, and I also knew you through the Ospol Shitposting Facebook group, but as you alluded to, listeners of the show might actually know you from uh, some other incidents in your past. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) So I was the Greens candidate for Northern Metro for the Upper House in Victoria a couple of years back. Um, uh, So uh, it's kind of a down-ballot candidate behind Samantha Ratnam, who's Mm -hmm. the leader of the Greens. Um, So essentially it wasn't really an electable position unless um, the coattail effect would come into effect where – you know, if, if she got a lot of votes, then maybe that would have lifted me up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really there to kind of learn and support her. But unfortunately, the Herald Sun got hold of some shit posts that I did mm. in a private women's group a, a number of years previous and decided to splash them all over the front page of the Herald Sun and pretty much across the planet, which was extremely cool. <laughs> Classic Herald Sun, extremely cool move. Yeah. Like, oh, a young woman who's interested in politics. Let's ruin her life. 
Yeah, and so the headline was caught green-handed, which was pretty cute. Um, <laughs> yeah. Six slurs on Facebook kind of thing. Mm. So, you know, it was just like shit posts of me talking about partying and, you know. There was a whatever. bunch of in- intent. Intensely relatable stuff that I'm sure a lot of our listeners remember that maybe we don't have to rehash to the specifics. No. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely felt like when that story broke, I was like, there's someone who should be in politics. There's a real person who, like, isn't a faceless party machine. Like, well, I am. I am a party machine, but in a different way. In the the more human sense. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It was like all these things that got sort of published in the, in the Herald Sun is like, Oh, look how irresponsible this person is. That just all these things that made everybody like everyone in the Ospol shitposting group look at you and be like, there's an actual real person who does things that I do and is relatable. And it actually like would have massively just like improved your standings with from your own community, which is just like, I don't know, so cooked. But, you know, fuck everyone the Herald in, Sun. Oh, I know. Everyone in the group was really supportive and kind, um, which was so nice. Mm. So, yeah. Um, thanks to them uh, a, a couple of years later. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. They're not as a, a bunch of scallywags as they would appear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I disconnected almost uh, f- from our, like, Zoom chat <laughs> almost immediately after I finished introducing this, the the episode. So I don't know if you said it between then and when I reconnected, but one of the reasons that we're having our special guest on this week is that we've had 25,000 listens to the show. Did you already Woo! say that? No. No, I was leaving we got 25,000 listens to the show. It's so hey. exciting. That's uh it's amazing. So listeners, thank you all so much for supporting us and following us. Uh I'm pretty certain neither me or Zach thought that we would ever get this deep into the show. Nope. Um yeah, so just wanted to say a very big thanks to all of our listeners for helping us reach that milestone. And also wanted to say thanks to two new patrons, Josh and Jackson, who signed up at patreon.com forward slash Snackpod. Now they're hanging out in our Discord server and having chats about politics and shit. So yeah, if you like the show, if you like this episode, hop on to Patreon and support us. Hop on to Ospol posting, join up. Yeah, that's that's all I had to say for the intro. Um I guess, you... I w- but before we get into the actual news for this week, um, we, we just realized this morning that um, in the wake of the Victorian hotel quarantine inquiry, it's been going on this week, the Victorian health minister, Jenny McCarkos, has resigned, um, which is like enormous news. And we're not going to talk about it at all. If we, m- we might touch on it next week. But that's part yeah. of the fun of uh, making a, a weekly news <laughs> podcast is that we're just always behind the eight ball basically mm. always like always missing out on things friday afternoons are a big time for news <laughs> weirdly it's true saturday morning terrible time to record a news podcast uh, friday afternoons when um politicians tend to drop uh All the, cheeky the, shit. Yeah. the bad and cheeky shit ho- yeah. hoping that no one will notice <laughs> I mean, so. and we've talked about it on this podcast before it's like surely they know that everybody knows that now yeah, like, yeah. The There's no longer work that like five day <laughs> news cycle of like the sixties. Right. And it just makes it look more Obvious. dodgy when you yeah. do that. Because it <laughs> yeah. becomes part of the story whenever it's reported is that like they dropped this on Friday afternoon, hoping that we wouldn't notice, but of course mm-hmm. we noticed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I don't think this Makakos thing was intended to be quiet, but uh that's that's not really no. here nor there, yeah. But uh, we'll we'll chat we'll chat about that next week. Um, yeah. But for this well, week, why don't we uh, get stuck into our intro? 
um, our entree. Our entree. Um, so we've been following the hilarious cavortings of John Barillaro for the past couple of weeks, and uh, we've probably you know given him more than enough airtime on this podcast, but. Uh, it's just funny how, like, the shape of his mistake has just played out over several weeks and there continues to be further and further fucking up from his initial fuck up when he uh, threatened to move the entire New South Wales Nationals party to the crossbench over some koala <laughs> legislation, which is uh, just a hilarious story. Um, but uh, this week there was even more fallout from it. So uh, the New South Wales Nationals MP, Leslie Williams, has decided to defect from the Nationals in the wake of this. She's <laughs> resigned. It's amazing. She's resigned from the Nationals Party and uh, applied to be, to become a member of the Liberal Party. I don't know if she's been accepted yet. She said that uh, Barilaro's threat to move the Nats to the crossbench was, quote, unnecessary, unhelpful, and frankly, politically reckless and unreasonable. <laughs> As we've said, all the things that make him perfect leadership material for the Nationals in the first place. Mm. Um, she's been pissed off with him for a while, though, like after the Eden Monaro stuff when he called <laughs> Andrew Constance a cunt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then himself withdrew from the pre-selection race. Uh, she was like, this is clearly not on. You should resign, Barilaro. Um, and uh, he obviously didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, she just kind of, like, her statement goes on to be like, blah, 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 community deserves to be represented by, like, responsible people and, you know, policy should overshadow politics and all that kind of stuff. It's just like, you're a member of the National Party, mate. Like, mm, <laughs> yeah. I, I think maybe you should pull back and, and have another look at yourself. Um, it's also very funny going to her website and, like, you know, you can't change a website overnight, but like after all, saying all this shit in the press, like the Nationals logo is still just plastered on every single piece of like mm. public material, <laughs> which I don't know. It's kind of petty, but I thought it was funny. Also, another funny, like small angle of this is that I'm pretty sure last week, whenever it was Barilaro, was like, the Nats are more united behind me than ever. The party room supports me <laughs> unanimously, mm. and this is the most united we've ever been. And then this lady's <laughs> like, well, I'm literally leaving because you're such a fucking shithead. So, yeah. I mean, I mean she maybe actually now that she's is gone, following united, through but... on her threat, unlike Barilaro That's right. as well. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, like, who couldn't back it up. More strength to her arm in this particular situation. Which is every rare time when someone's joining the libs, but yeah. <laughs> every time you say Barilaro, I get that um, Caramello Koala song in my head. Yes, Barilaro Koala. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious and politically impotent. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so that's all. I just wanted to touch on that because it was sure. funny. I didn't have much more to say about it, really. Just um, wanted to point out um, his that you know <laughs> the the length and uh, intensity of his fuck up continues to balloon out, which is amazing. Unusual for the Nats um, being messy bitches that love drama. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Pretty yeah. out of character. Yeah. Um, I've got another little uh, bit of an entree, which is about job seeker and job keeper, which is all terrible news, unsurprisingly. Mm. Uh, the job seeker coronavirus supplement is being cut by more than half, and so payments are going to drop from about eleven hundred to about eight hundred because the supplement is about half of the total payment. It's a bit complicated, but basically losing three hundred dollars from job seeker, which is what used to be New Start, mm-hmm. and from Monday the twenty eighth, which is. Uh, tomorrow from when listen from when this episode drops job keeper is also being cut um and they're splitting it into two tiers so there's people who worked more than 20 hours and people who worked less than 20 hours before the whole covid thing and both of those tiers are being cut but the ones who work 
less are being cut by more. So it's going to be cut by half from $1,500 to $750, which is fucked. The mm. upper tier is being cut by a bit less. And then they're both going to be cut again in January and then again in March. Um, and so this has always been what the government said they were going to do. They were mm. going to like have a little targeted spending to stimulate the economy and then we'll taper off or whatever. Uh, it's fucking terrible idea, though, uh, for reasons that I'm sure I don't need to explain in great detail. But basically, like... The economic catastrophe is still going, so so should our catastrophe response measures. Yeah. Um, and just, like, very briefly on this, there's a budget coming next week, because, like, the it's normally in May, but there was a coronavirus. They're like, we don't know what's going on, so they're doing one this week. Um, and they've said that they're not going to include any changes to welfare in this budget, um, which is kind of fucked and is annoying everyone a lot, because... Um, the Libs have been saying basically that they're going to increase JobSeeker at some point in the not-too-distant future, um, which is pretty massive that they're saying that they're going to do that. And it the, is the, wild that they would even mention it, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, they're not really bringing it up, but uh, journalists are being like, now, do you think that $40 a day is enough to live on? And instead of being like, oh, well, maybe they should get a job, they're just now being like, no, it's not. So that sounds like they're planning on increasing it. Um, but they're not doing it in the budget for some fucking reason, which is going to make it way harder for everyone to plan for it. So anyway, that's um, that's a little welfare update. Um, just, um, I, I just would like to cut in with a couple of things yeah, on that. Um, why is it that people that work part-time need less money? Or, um, and also, I, I want to point out that the disability support pension and carer payment um, has not gotten any corona yeah. su supplement. Yeah. Um, that's been just two lump sum payments of um, the stimulus, which I think was $750 yeah, each time. Right. Um, which is just not that much over like six months. Uh, no. Yeah, because I'm on DSP. And I, I definitely, when they first started increasing job seeker i was like oh maybe i should try and switch and then i was like no mm. no no, they're gonna fuck them and then my situation will be better again in a couple of months but mm. yeah super cooked that like yeah sorry i just go on. I, I just thought um you know given that victoria has been under stage full lockdown for so long that they would not do this in line with the rest of the country yeah but it's, clearly i was wrong it's fuck it is it's like mind-boggling really mind -boggling. that like people are still in lockdown there's some very slight kind of like restrictions going to be relaxed next week but essentially yeah victoria and melbourne particularly are in hard lockdown and mm. they're just cutting 300 bucks worth of money from people who like whose the like, ability to go out and get more work or whatever has not changed at yeah. all I have a tweet here from um, Joshua Badge that uh, I thought summed it up really neatly. Um, to give you some idea of how utterly vicious the job seeker cut is, rent eats up a full 65% of my reduced payment, leaving me with just $130 a week for bills and food. This is what today looks like for millions of people. Mm. Um, totally. Yeah, which yeah. I think um, just about sums it up. Not to mention the businesses that will be kind of unable to absorb the economic impact of COVID yeah. um, and continue to drop off over the next six months and years um, and will be ineligible for JobKeeper anyway and will mm. probably have to go on the dole. I mean, I walk around my neighborhood and see so many businesses that have shut, yeah. you know, permanently. So, mm. you know, but as the comments on the ABC article about this say, you know, you should collect cans or go fruit picking. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, don't wow. you know you could make $3,000 a week fruit picking? Haven't oh, yeah, cool. I'll just leave the city 
yeah, that and I'm, my family uh, that I'm in right now. Yeah, that, I, that I'm yeah. allowed to leave for whatever reason I want. Yeah, yeah. go and w- work twelve hours a day, seven days a week. Um, oh, also, by the way, I might just take your get passport. Slaves from the Pacific Islands to come and do because it's such horrible labor. Yeah. Great. Yeah, but it works out for them because when their country goes underwater, you know, according to our um, deputy prime minister anyway, they can just come here and pick fruit. Yeah, great. Live like mm. kings. Mm. Cool okay, government. Well, I mean, I know that was a, a pretty positive story, but Zach, you now have a positivity <laughs> corner for us? Yes. All right. Let's play that, Sting. Positivity corner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's very gratifying to see the begrudging smile <laughs> on Joe's face listening to my extremely silly things. Hey, um, hey, 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 hey. Now don't don't talk about yourself <laughs> like that. Like, come on. I actually think your stings are great. I was I was gonna you. say this. Like, you know, the your theme song is an absolute jam too. <laughs> I gotta say I'm pretty happy. Are you gonna with do that. the full like three minute uh, extended People keep remix. asking me for the extended mix. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> why why okay, not? <laughs> if we if we hit a hundred patrons, I will put out a full full length version version. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot wait. A feature length version. Um, but yes, uh, a, a quick positivity corner. Mm. So um, the uh, South Australian Lower House has passed a bill to approve safe access zones around places that provide abortions. Amazing, um, which is really good news. So mm-hmm. safe access zones make it illegal to harass or intimidate people who are accessing abortion services or staff from a, a facility that provides abortions. Mm-hmm. And the bill is proposing uh, a 150-meter safe zone around facilities that provide abortions, and that's pretty standard, um, uh, like the the laws in other states kind of provide that exact same distance, mm. basically. Um, and I was listening to an interview with Barbara Baird, who's the co-convener of the South Australian Abortion Action Coalition. And she was just kind of describing like the problem, basically, and saying that anti-abortion protesters will sit outside uh, the Pregnancy Advisory Centre, which is like a medical place that provides the majority of abortions in South Australia. They'll sit there and just harass and intimidate people who are walking in, who, you know, no one's going in there chuffed and feeling really good yeah and and like yeah i mean this is like often can be a really difficult decision and put you in a really vulnerable place emotionally and psychologically Mm -hmm. the last thing you need is people there at the very last point of the process where you finally you know like made arrangements to go there and then be like you're a monster for doing this um Barbara I Bear also, saying, Sorry, just to cut in, I also looked at the pi- the picture accompanying one of these articles mm. um, of people protesting at the Pregnancy Advisory Centre. Did you see this picture? I don't think I did. Okay, so just imagine the audience at like a 70s old school dirty movie screening <laughs> and you're, you're kind of there. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah, and these people are there two or three days a week, according to... Mm. Um, to bed but she says that there, there are two like they have these 40 days for life things that happen twice a year where mm. it's kind of like all out anti-abortion protests across the country and i think they have the right the, the walk for life here in victoria as well which i've attended the counter protest to before and it's just it's pretty wild realizing like there are people out there for whom this is the main thing that they think about yeah. this is mm. their main political it's just like so kind of backwards but during those two times for 40 days a year these protesters will be there 24 7 basically outside these clinics 
So it's really, you know, these, these are really good and it's going to protect a lot of people from um, that harm. Um, but on your point, Joe, of like the audience, like the people who come to these things, um, uh, I wanted to point out that the, the liberal MP, uh, David Spears, which is not that David Spears, but a different David Spears, um, who he's just, he's a dude who just has like huge real estate agent energy, basically. Um, yeah. I don't know much more about him beyond that, but he want he was trying to, um, add an exemption for silent prayer in the oh, safe access zone, uh-huh. which is a tactic that they've tried that, that like anti-abortion, uh, protesters have tried before in other safe access zones, but the mm. South Australian parliament just completely rejected that. Um, right. uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Will you add something onto a bill? An amendment? Yes, thank you. They completely rejected that amendment, but I think that that gives you a really good idea of the kind of people who show up to these things, mm-hmm. being like, mm-hmm. all I'm doing is sitting and silently praying at you. I, this isn't harassment or intimidation at all. How can you say that I'm doing something bad when it's just silent prayer? It's just like, this is so gross and, and transparent. The uh, um, Australian Christian lobby said uh, praying in public will be a crime in parts of South Australia if this bill passes the upper house. Every time, every time I... Drama queens. I should oh, maybe not the right word, but it's just so ridiculous. Like, it's going to be illegal in public. Like, fuck off. Sorry, I know. please continue, Joe. Well, all I was going to say is every time I see the words Australian Christian lobby, eat shit Lyle comes into my head. <laughs> yeah, Pops right in there. Yeah, it does. Is, yeah, it's it's reflexive. Um, Eat I shit was... David Spears. <laughs> also, yes. Um, I was also going to say that um, I think South Australia and Western Australia are the only two states in Australia to not um, have legislated for safe access zones at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is, yeah, we're getting pretty close to like having it across the country, but this, this still needs to go um, through the upper house, which I think mm. is hopefully going to happen in October, but mm-hmm. it basically is looking very likely that it'll pass at this stage, which is really cool. cool. Parliament's also expected to debate legislation aimed at uh, removing abortion from the criminal code there later in the year. Good. Yeah. Well. Um, it's amazing that this is coming before that. On some level, but well, it's the same in New South Wales, where they actually decriminalized abortion yesterday. Um, cool, which is also very cool. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they've had safe access zones for a while, I believe. Um, mm. yeah, legislation is weird, but this in this case seems to be it all seems to be moving in the right direction, which is always right. good to see. Uh, cool. All right, it's probably now time for you fucked up. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I am at the wheel for this section yes. uh, this week. So I've actually subtitled this Divine Intervention. Do you like that? <laughs> I do. I love it. I, I love do. It. It's not a food pun, but it is actually a pun, which automatically yeah. makes it better than most of the jokes we make on this show. <laughs> totally. Um, so anyway, this week I am so pleased to report that IRL Gorgon, um, Miranda Devine <laughs> has actually been punished for a small portion of the hot garbage that, uh, drip, drips from her mouth on the hmm. daily. Um, if you'll recall, she thought it was a great idea to comment on a video of Quaid and Bales, who, as you know, is a nine-year-old indigenous kid with, um, dwarfism which was uploaded by his mum and intended to highlight the effect bullying has had on her sobbing child. Mm. The video is really distressing. Um, I never actually watched it because yeah. it looked like it was going to be super harrowing. But basically he was 
being severely bullied at school and mm. came home and was talking to his mum about how it was making him feel suicidal. Yeah, she, a nine-year-old saying yeah. that. Mm. And she posted that that video, yeah. Um, so anyway, the Bales rightfully sued for defamation in July after Miranda tweeted suggestions that the video and subsequent GoFundMe was all a scam. Um, oh Quaid, oh no, Quaden was being coached by his mother and suggested that he was actually an adult actor. No, um, I didn't. I didn't know that part. I know yeah. it's just fake, so but... viciously evil. Like what? I know, I know. I just I don't know the 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 way that the conservative brain will like bend backwards over itself in order to like deny just someone else's reality is wild to me. How Sickening. does it? How in in what way is that more realistic than a kid got bullied? It's I don't actually know. Not that rare. Oh. <laughs> um. So at a preliminary hearing in August, um, she didn't respond to papers that were served by email um, and did not brief a lawyer to attend the court. So I think that's because she's in New York um, covering the election, which I'm sure will be, you know, some brain genius shit Um, (laughs) working for the New York Post. Uh, the family's barrister, Sue Chrysanthu, told the federal court divine, unfortunately had not acknowledged the claim. We have received absolutely no response. Unusually for her, she has been silent, which is a sick burn. <laughs> That's how um, bad she, she got owned by yeah, this court well, case. Well, I think, I mean, my memory of it was that they initially were trying, because they couldn't serve her because she's in the States. Um, yeah. Although that's definitely not stopping her writing her garbage hot takes about stuff happening in Australia. But that then they tried to serve uh, News Corp and they were like, they're her tweets. We got nothing to do with it. Like, they seem to kind of drop her like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Hot potato? Mm. A gross potato. A gross potato with really bad eyebrows. Honestly, (laughs) they look like tadpoles. It's terrible. Sort that out. (laughs) Um, So I was very um, pleased and excited to uh, see that she posted a statement on Twitter earlier in the week uh, previous to the settlement, which made, um, you know, my mouth water. It was just – it was so delicious. Um, So – Here it is. Uh, In February this year, I posted some comments on my personal Twitter account about Quaden Bales and his mother, Yuraka. I now know that these comments were hurtful and untrue. I sincerely apologize to the Bales for those comments. Mm, That's very delicious. (laughs) Man, to to get Divine to admit, uh, like to retract something that she said, I mean, that's huge. There's also the $200,000... settlement that's that's coming as well Definitely. which Correct. not gonna hurt yeah no that's right yeah so they'll be receiving two two hundred thousand dollars in damages plus legal costs so yep. that's good so we don't really know whether divine or news corp australia will be paying those damages and costs mm. though so but i you know this is this is great news but I really think also, I mean, I'm a fan of bringing back medieval punishments to some (laughs) extent. Like Tiring and feathering, I think, really was a genius move. Like, oh, yeah. It's uh, humiliating. It's a sort of public uh, all getting together and, like, fixing up our community. Mm -hmm, It mm -hmm. it 
and the people doing it can decide how violent it is as well. Mm-hmm. Decide like, how hot the tar is. Basically. How hot the tar is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, no I, I was kind of thinking more like a big cage in Fed Square and we go yeah, and throw fruit at course. her or, yeah, yeah. you know, the uh, stocks uh, or. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, you know your uh, medieval, know medieval torture devices. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So Just eat- get a little like a uh, glass oubliette, so we can see it all going on in there. But um, oh, that's so cute! Live so stream is- it on the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, in summary, eat shit, Miranda. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you for guest hosting our first ever guest hosted spot on Ozpost oh, Napo. Yeah. We normally get people get guests on and do kind of an interview with them, but Joe's sort of co-piloting with us this week, and uh, I think he knocked it out the park. First Woo! time round. Good job. Thanks. Um, and now uh, to take, continue this uh, very Ozpol snack pod ride for you, we're going to do some of our trademark tonal whiplash and uh, going to talk now about our First Nations story for the week. Okay, so this week uh, I wanted to talk about Auntie Sherry Fisher-Tilbury, who is a 49-year-old Aboriginal woman who died in Brisbane Police Watch House in Mianjin on the 10th of September. Um, we mentioned her death a couple of weeks ago, but um, since then, more information has come out about what actually happened. So um, it's suspected that she died of a brain aneurysm, and the police have been very clear and repeatedly saying natural causes a lot. It's since come out that uh, what well, police in, in the watch house are supposed to physically monitor people in custody, custody every hour, um, but it's been alleged that uh, Sherry Fisher-Tilbury was not checked on for six hours before she died, which, I mean, it just it, in some ways sounds like a replay of what happened to Tanya mm. Day, like yeah, strong so echoes of that case. Um, so an assistant watch house supervisor who the media has been very careful to note is not a sworn police officer has been suspended with full pay for not performing the physical checks. Might as well be a cop if that's the punishment they're getting. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, as a result of this, two separate Black Lives Matter protests um, kicked off in Mianjin. Um, there's some pretty awful footage of uh, the police response to those protests going around. The cops responded super aggressively. They made lots of arrests. Footage shows the, the cops, like, shoving protesters and just being generally extremely antagonistic. I've got a quote here from uh, Greens councillor Jonathan Shree, who says, quote, People were peacefully protesting that death in custody and then without warning or negotiation, aggressive officers started randomly arresting people, um, which is definitely what it looks like from the footage. So, you know, I mean, none of the rest of this story is going to be in any way surprising, but the cops have basically refused point blank to even ask whether racism was a factor in Fisher Tilbury's death. They keep saying, as I said, that, you know, natural causes as if it's that some kind of like... Uh, get out of jail free card for them. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's especially with America's like current BLM insurrection situation going on. There's absolutely this narrative about cops killing people like with active violence, mm-hmm. and they absolutely do that, and they do that in Australia as well. But a lot of deaths in custody in Australia are from systematic and probably to some extent purposeful racist neglect and as you Mm -hmm. said like tanya day died because of exactly the same kind of neglect and to be like it's natural causes it's like yeah it's natural causes that you created the environment that led to her death because of them like yeah yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, I mean, why was she in prison in the first place as well? Of course. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, or she was about to be transferred to prison to be accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a quote here from the, from the actual police officer who was in charge of the wash house. He said, quote, I would like to think this is not a systemic issue. We have, since the incident, changed our policies at the Brisbane Watch House to make it more prescriptive as to what exactly we expect. Shift supervisors have a lot more responsibility in terms of validating what they're being told by their officers. I just don't know how that could be interpreted as anything other than a systemic problem. He literally just said... That you ha- that they had to change their policies because the protocols it's like, oh, are not our being systems followed. don't work. Yeah, so we needed new systems, but it's not systemic. It's not systemic at all. So, I mean, look, uh, there's an ethical standards uh, investigation going on, but as always, you know, cops investigating cops. I don't think anybody uh, has any realistic hope that that's going to result in uh, a fair outcome. Not, you know, I don't mm, think that you mm. could call even a you know an outcome that was negative for the police justice because justice would be auntie sherry still being alive mm-hmm. um but uh yeah we'll keep an eye on that um story as it progresses um but uh before we move on uh there is also a positive uh first nation story this week what, do you want to take us through that one quickly joe yeah just real quick um so as some of you might know the archibald prize is the most prestigious prize for portraiture in the country um so that's a $100,000 prize and it's been going for about a hundred years. Um, so I think it was announced yesterday, uh, that, uh, Vincent Namatjira, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Um, yeah, Namatjira, yeah. Namatjira, um, who's the great grandson of acclaimed artist, Albert Namatjira, Mm. um, became the first indigenous Australian to win the prize in its 99 year history. Um, which is fucking amazing. Um, and he's won it. Um, I've seen some of his works before and they're extremely good. So I encourage everyone to get online and take a look at this one. Uh, it's actually a portrait of him alongside former AFL player and 2014 Australian of the year, Adam Goods. Um, they're kind of clasping hands together. Um, it's really awesome. Um, in addition, um, we also saw the packing room prize, um, which is another prize associated with the, uh, competition go to, uh, Maine Wyatt, um, with a self portrait. And he became the first indigenous artist to win any category of the Archibald prize. So this, this is huge. Um, and I think Maine had, uh, in his press pitches, a justice for auntie Sherry, face mask on as well so um yeah it's a big week um for indigenous people Um, yeah but yeah jump online and take a look at those artworks because they're they're amazing there's a lot of really great stuff on there um including an awesome pitch uh portrait of briggs um just some really great yeah really 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 great entries so congratulations vincent um, this is just a little sidebar before we move on to another art-related segment. Um, but I just wanted to shout out a uh, friend, confidant, member of my inner sanctum, uh, Solidarity Five Ever, who's also a patron, who's an art teacher, and who often like hooks me up with interesting art facts and art knowledge. Uh, mm. And did send me some pictures of these Archibald ones. And he said that he thinks that this uh, winning piece by Vincent Nemajira uh, is like a beautiful piece of artwork and like better than most of the ones that normally win the Archie and that, uh, yeah. So anyway, that yeah, I was going to say it's not exactly renowned for like 
having good winners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the Archibald Prize, like the portraits the winner are often really ugly. But um, yeah, I think Namajira's work is really cool. There's also mm. um, a relatively well known portrait of um, the Queen and Trump standing next to each other that he did, which is really <laughs> funny. Nice. Um, so yeah, definitely do some Googling and check out his work. Excellent. Now it is time for Shitpost of the Week. And uh, yeah, as I said, we've got another art-related segment because we have some beautiful portraiture uh, for our no. shitpost of the week. <laughs> no. I think it's, yeah, I mean, this should have at least made it to the finalists in the Archibald. And in the Archie, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is the worst thing I have ever seen. <laughs> and I wrote, oh my God, I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> Which is reasonable. It's, That's it's the only note response. we've got for this yeah. segment. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so I also should say that Shitpost of the Week winner is Aaron Bernersley, uh, who posted this in the Ospol Shitposting Facebook group, which you can join at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Ospol Shitposting. Please answer the questions. We probably won't let you into the group. Um, um, and so- I, I just want to also want to point out that when we asked Aaron whether this was original content, they said uh, that meme attribution is bourgeois, and uh, I really <laughs> revolutionary. Yeah, yeah and I right. and yeah. I just really <laughs> I respect that, and we're going to shout them out anyway. But yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I also respect their position. Um, you know, seizing <laughs> the memes of production and all that. Yeah. Well, here's a truly proletarian meme for you. Uh, so this is a it's a photo of of Peter Dutton um, that has been edited in a number of ways so that he looks significantly Voldemortier. And he's already a Voldemorty kind of guy. He's just got how a bit too it, much nose. How is it possible to make him look worse? I don't... It's incredible. It's it's really spectacular. It actually reminds me of that Photoshop that someone did of Trump without fake tan, and he just looks exactly <laughs> like both Benjamin Netanyahu and Putin. Um, and it just makes perfect sense now. Like, when you see him like that, it's like, oh, that's why he's president of America. Anyway, this is a, oh, this is a hideous image of, of Dutton that he's been kind, he's given, like, severe freckles. His nose has been turned up. His eyes are closer together and red and tiny. His eyebrows are essentially gone. He just looks like... He's all round very crispy. It, it's lightly deep fried, mm. shallow yeah, fried, shallow he, fried meme. He looks also, like he needs a chemical peel or like some serious. At least one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe one of those kerosene baths from the old folks' homes could, I don't know. And but, then we light it on fire. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, just get that whole outer layer up. But he's, he's also got an air bud in and he's holding up to the camera a big blunt. And the the impact font text says, Dato passes you the buff. Do you accept? Yes. Sad react. No. Angry react. Um, <laughs> and it's a real. It's a tough question. You know, I do not know what if Dutton passes me the buff. Do I accept? It's truly a proletarian conundrum for our era. Easy answer to the question. I have to say. Yeah. Absolutely. Of course, yes. Because wow. this, this dude is in charge of Border Force. He has the best chronic there is. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> That's a really good point. I hadn't really thought of it like that. It was more of like a, you know, ethical boycott. Also, presumably, he's been hitting it. Yeah, when, so when it I sounds hit gross. It, and, but, like, at this stage, he's, he, I think he has been confirmed corona negative. 
So mm. I don't know if you need to worry about that anymore. It's not so mm. much like the, the, the social distancing aspect as the like Dutton distancing aspect. <laughs> I, uh, I touched a slug the other day. Uh, completely <laughs> accidentally. I just like reached out for something and there was a slug on it. I didn't, and I was like, that's weird. This isn't normally squishy and then i looked down and i was like oh god this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me um and just like i was like covered in i was like just like shaking having these little like gross fits for like a good 10 20 minutes later and i feel like that's what smoking a Dutton's Dutton wetted blunt yeah. would might be like you know no, and it is Plus a blunt too so the end's gonna be wet uh, it's gonna be like eighty percent tobacco. You know, I don't know. I it's... just also want to point out that you point you, you mentioned that he's got an earpod. An, uh, sorry, an AirPod, Air an Apple AirPod. Yeah. No, yeah. AirPod's the Labrador who can slam dunk. He's got. Oh, cool, cool. He's got uh, an he AirPod. Have AirPod in his ear. Okay, so sure, he's yeah. got. A, he's wearing a single AirPod, but that is not from the Photoshop. That's yeah, from yeah, the that's original interview. Yeah. He I didn't even realize that. This, that's hilarious. Yeah, it's a screen cap from an interview where he wore a single AirPod. For no discernible reason that I can think of. I so. do wish it was one of those old school Bluetooth um, things. <laughs> yes. That would have been sick. Seems a little more appropriate for a liberal minister. Yeah, of for his, real. Like, Maybe vintage. that's how he treats it. He's like, yeah, yeah this is my Bluetooth here. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough about Dotto and his Yeah, book. I want to stop a, looking a secondary, at it. <laughs> that was our shit post, but now we have a shit post. Yes. And look, we have spent a long time um, yes. talking already, so I don't know if we need to go into a huge amount of detail. Most yeah, people have probably seen this forward. Yeah. But it is kind of incredible, and I think that everybody should see it if they haven't. So this was a post from Serena Russo, who runs a job service provider company called Serena Russo. Um, in other words, her entire fortune is built on exploiting and harassing unemployed people. Mm-hmm. Um and siphoning government government money into her private accounts uh, on the pretext of helping them. Sucking um, off the diseased teat of the uh, LNP, as I like to say. <laughs> Disgusting. Gross. Um, <laughs> That's an unfortunately accurate and useful metaphor. A real <laughs> scabby, pussy teat. <laughs> Um, so you guys did this to me with that Dunn picture. I can't. We put you in the, in the deep fried mindset. Yeah. Um, so she tweeted uh, with the caption, 41 years today, a startup of a dream, hopeful, fearful, but positive self-belief to secure my Aww. destiny of being my own boss, capital B, simply saved from being fired one more time. That's very oh, telling. That's so disgusting so, given seriously. what her job is. Like what... Ugh. So gross. Disruption in 2020, COVID-19 crises globally. Never give up. <sighs> Dare to dream your future now? Join our 30, 41st birthday. And then it's just this incredibly mm. fucking dark video of the Serena Russo 41st anniversary celebration party, which is, it's just fucking incredible. So the first thing you see is the, is the big inflatable 41 balloons, as in the numbers but- 41 in balloon form. And then but beyond, they're backwards. Yeah, they're yeah. backwards. That's because she doesn't know how to use a computer <laughs> or, or cameras. Well, then the next thing you see is Serena Russo herself at the front of this extremely long boardroom, standing in front of a TV which has like a hundred people on Zoom on it. And she's just like dancing in place, wearing her silly little trademark hat. 
and making all of her employees watch her dance to this weird like stock music which is yeah it's it's not even celebrate right. good times yeah, come on yeah. like it's just some shit that you would get on garage band or something exactly. it's really weird <laughs> i think she, yeah she bought it for like a dollar 50 off audio jungle uh, because she didn't want the video to get spiked by copyright for using yeah, an actual yeah. song and then the video just pans slowly around the room to show all these oh. Serena Russo employees who look like they're in a fucking hostage video yeah. clapping and being like, ha yes. It's like The Office. Yeah. It's like a sketch from The Office. It, it's absolutely... Bananas. The level of cringe is absolutely I, unbelievable. I have a tummy ache just thinking about this <laughs> video right now. I'm so... I'm getting really stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe it's time to move on. I think everybody needs to go and experience it for themselves. Especially the gentleman in the the older gentleman in in the the top top hat. hat? What is that about? This video is absolutely chock full of details. You can watch it over and over again and always find something new. It is always depressing and horrifying, though. That never changes. Just before we move on, I want to say I've been watching this show recently called On Becoming a God in Central Florida, which I strongly recommend. Uh, It's not an easy watch exactly it's about multi-level marketing in central florida and it just about everything awful about mlms happens to the main character in it so like you know beware when you're watching it but this tweet reads like one of the motivational speeches from the higher echelon people in that the startup of a dream hopeful fearful but positive self-belief to secure my destiny of being my own boss and they always talk about a j-o-b stands for like Mm. jump off a bridge or whatever but like this the capital boss i don't know has a very similar vibe dare to dream your future now no but that's it fourteen hundred dollars of our stock exactly it's such Mm. a window into how she views herself i mean she's trying to kind of frame herself as this like against the odds girl boss who's made it to the top of the pile through yas queen exactly it's some young girl yas queen shit and but just like your entire fortune is built on the backs of people who are unemployed and being like just driven into the dirt by the government yeah, not only that, built on the backs of misery and people mm. that have actually killed themselves because of these programs. Yep. Yeah. That's the level of disgusting shit we are talking about with this absolute parasite. And if you if you do want to have a laugh, I do recommend reading the Twitter comments below this because yeah. she gets roasted. It is. Roasted. It's, yeah. It's a, it was a real free-for-all. I mean, it's a she, real chef's kiss. It's just, it's really something. The also, the other thing that is funny to me is this. I realize that this is actually a genre of Serena Russo tweet. Like, if you th- scroll through her account, you'll see that there are lots and lots of videos of her dancing posted to to, to Twitter, of her, which is, uh, all the, I mean, none of them quite have the same cursed energy as this one. But um, mm. anyway, <laughs> it, like, it's not enough to be to get rich by being evil. You also have to fucking post cringe as well. Like, pick a lane. Anyway. <laughs> um, before we move on to our mains, we uh, got a potluck this week. We love to get potlucks. That's where we ask our listeners to record uh, a minute or two of themselves ranting about a political issue or an activist issue that they're interested in and uh, sends it in to ozpolsnackpot at gmail.com, which you could also do. Um, so why don't we play that sting and then hear from Amina. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. So fun times at JCU right now, in the middle of a pandemic, which has 
fucked students over in every conceivable way. The university management, and I stress this is management, it's not staff, it's administrators making high six figures to do absolutely fuck all, have decided to transition us from semesters to trimesters. Now, I don't have a problem with trimesters, but if I wanted to study at a university that offered trimesters, I would have gone there instead of James Cook University, which I went to because of the way that it offers subjects. Um, Loads of students have come out against the change. The university has started smearing those students, calling them liars, accusing them of spreading misinformation, all because of stuff like them not fact-checking whether it would actually affect our Centrelink payments, them not fact-checking whether it will affect international student visas, them not giving a shit how it's going to affect people who don't live in Townsville and have to travel home for the holidays or people who actually work over the holidays since our trimester will now end in mid-December instead of mid-November. It's a pretty fucked situation. And not only are they refusing to communicate with staff and students, but they send out a different, mixed and completely contradictory message every day. So we went from law and business are going to trimesters at the beginning of next year in February to business is going to trimesters, but law we put off for a year to actually it's not a done deal at all to actually it is a done deal to... Do you know what? I'll update you on what the situation is when I get the next email about it, which I'm sure will be sometime today. Who knows? Um, Anyway, it's just really frustrating as a student who pays hex to be fucked over repeatedly by the people who pay, well, who take our hex money and spend it on their giant mansions and international business trips instead of actually, you know, helping students, which I'm pretty sure is what public universities are meant to do. So that's fun. Um, don't anyone come to JCU. It's run by a bunch of fuckheads. Yeah, thanks, uh, Amina, for that. That was great. And, um, you know, I I think probably most universities are run by a pack of fuckheads. But, uh, yeah, JCU, this seems like a terrible idea. Um, and, like, yeah, you're, as Amina said, like, if people wanted trimesters, they would have gone to one of the several institutions that offer that. Um but yeah, so uh, Amina has been doing a bunch of activism around this, uh, around the um, JCU Student Association. Um, so we'll pop some links into the show notes about uh, Facebook events that you can um, mm-hmm. go and like uh, help out, sign petitions, uh, write emails, or contact the the administration. Like I don't know a huge amount about this story, but it's basically impossible to imagine the university doing this for any reason other than like it saves Profits. them money. Yeah. 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 Um, which just like at a time when there's like an unprecedented, I mean, not exactly unprecedented, but maybe the culmination of years of like attacks on the tertiary sector um, mm. coming from con- successive conservative governments. The fact that like unis are still like exerting this downward pressure on the students is just like, I don't know. I f- it's pretty enraging. Um, and so- we've seen so many job cuts in the sector as well. It's just, it's such a mess at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, yeah, uh, to hear about this all happening at the same time is like, yeah, it's uh, we're, we're losing something pretty critical in the sector at the moment. Yeah, um, I think that was actually something I really appreciated about this potluck was how they said about like um, that, you know, what is the point of a university? And like, it probably shouldn't to make be money. to make fat stacks. It should probably be something about like improving people and mm. developing their capacities and For stuff. Sure. But, you know, maybe I'm a hippie. Yeah, I would say that you're probably uh, a latte-lifting greenie. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, but yes, thank you, Amina, for that potluck, which was like extremely concise but information heavy. That's the kind of shit we want. Send it, send them in, please. Yeah, please do. Record a couple minutes of audio of you ranting about something political and send it in. Or meme-ish. Or- I think we might actually have a meme one next week. So oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. All right. So why don't we now move on to our main course? And uh, listeners, obviously, normally me or Zach would do the mains, but we wanted uh, Joe to talk about something that she knows about and that uh, we could like feature her cleverness and insight. So yeah, Joe, you're going to... Give us a mains. What what have you cooked up for us this week? Oh, that's so nice of you giving me that lovely introduction. Um, so nice yes. of you coming on the show. <laughs> um, so for the mains this week, um, I really wanted to discuss proposed changes to the NDIS involving independent assessors. Mm. Um, uh, so this was brought to my attention a couple of weeks ago because of the hard work of activists across Australia, which I'll get to. Um, before I start, I just want to say that I'm not, by no means an expert on the NDIS. Um, and as you guys probably know, it's a super complicated issue um, and very often an absolute pig's nest, let's face it, that mm. we need a lot of time to fully get our little snouts into. Um, <laughs> however, I really um, wanted to highlight some recent activity within the community as the mains because it's not really getting a lot of attention and that's probably due to the, uh, to the complexity of the issue, I would say. I'll do my best to explain that and don't at me except with praise and tasteful nudes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll just try and run through exactly kind of what it is in a teeny, t- like tiny nutshell. I mean, what's the smallest nut? Probably a pine nut, but that doesn't have a shell. But anyway. Yeah, they've got a huge shell. But Do they? Yeah, it's a pine cone. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Mines are getting blown this week. Oh, okay. All right. Pole pinecone pod. <laughs> so anyway, in a in a smaller nutshell, right? Uh, <laughs> NDIS is the uh, National Disability Insurance Scheme. So it's administered by the NDIA, which is the National Disability Insurance Agency. So as some of you might know, the bill was uh, introduced into parliament in 2012 by Julia Gillard, um, and then it was passed in 2013, um, which you may know is the year we welcomed everyone's favorite puritanical peanut, Tony Abbott, into government. Um, So basically, it entitles people with a permanent and significant disability to full funding for any reasonable and necessary supports related to their disability. So in 2011, it was recommended that psychosocial disability be included in the scheme. So that stuff like schizophrenia, bipolar, PTSD, social phobias, major depressive disorders, that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. keep that in mind. Um, So funding is allocated to the recipient and they or their guardian can choose which providers supply the funded goods and services. So... The NDIS, um, in theory, pays for things like transport, assistance with social and community participation, assistive technology, um, home modifications, increased social and community participation, all that kind of thing. Mm. So, you know, like um, wheelchairs, mobility aids, things to help people out, um, community, you know, uh, sometimes art therapy, things Mm. like that. Um, 
you know, psych- psychology appointments. Um, so the scheme is entirely public funded through the Medicare levy and also a super complex, uh, mysterious and unknowable system of state, federal and territory funding. Oh, a government body that's in- extremely difficult to interact with? Mm, weird, Joe. right? I know, I, I know. Um, so it's actually independent of the disability support pension and universal health care. So that's your Centrelink and Medicare, obviously. Yeah. Um, so it draws a distinction between health care and disability supports. And I'm going to guess that like uh, that distinction is more like a huge fucking crevasse that a lot of people fall through, mm, I would say. Absolutely. It's pretty cooked that if you qualify for disability insurance, sorry, disability support pension, you don't necessarily qualify for NDIS and vice versa. Mm, exactly. Um, because one is basically more directly administered by the government than the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And, and they want to not give people money. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, well, we'll go. That's a we'll, sidebar, but we'll, yeah. we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so all of that's been rolled over over the last seven years, rolled out. Sorry, um, and as we know, that's unfortunately been uh, under successive cruel and incompetent conservative governments. Um, yeah. So it's estimated that the disability sector itself would have had to have grown by another half to meet the demand, and it was mm. like pretty hobbled pretty much from the beginning. Um, so in 2013, human sack of potatoes, Mitch Fifields, <laughs> um, capped the number of employees the NDIA could have to 3000. So the productivity commission recommended that they probably needed about 10,000 to do the job. Fucking hell. Fucking hell. I know. So it would have been pretty good to like, not do that. <laughs> Seems like that would have been a cooler move. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Um, so funnily enough, in twenty in the 2016 budget uh, brought forth by then Treasurer and Hillsong's most favoured son, um, Scotty from marketing, attempted to make savings of $2.1 billion by reassessing the disability support pension recipient's capacity to work. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's the same fucking shit every time with these I people. know. I know. There's literally um, only one way in which you could possibly be useful to society and therefore earn our support or the right to yeah. exist. Ugh, well, they, they, they'd love to make savings on um, social services by leeching money from other social services. Mm. It's pretty constant. Um so, and then they further reduced permanent staff and cut compensation for the carbon pricing scheme. And funnily enough, they, which I find completely hilarious, um, part of them saving money here was scrapping an ad which actually let people know about the existence of the NDIS. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> we don't need to fund I mean, them if no one's using it. It's yeah. kind of That's genius, I've got to say. Oh, yeah. It's like, don't advertise it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Very evil. But clever. I wonder if uh, that was um, Scott's idea. Mm. Scotty mm. from sometimes not the the most marketing <laughs> thing to do is not market at all. Oh my god, galaxy brain level shit <laughs> right there. Um, so it started to be rolled out nationally in 2016, and um, around that time, Bank West CEO Rob DeLuca took the wheel, which I think is. Really perfectly fine and normal having a disability service run by a bank CEO. What do you guys mm-hmm. reckon? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, banks are well known for being caring, compassionate, mm-hmm. thoughtful, humane institutions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, we all know. And that- obviously, 
to become a CEO in the first place, you have to exactly. be somebody who understands how regular people live their lives, mm. which mm. makes him the perfect choice. Mm. CEOs are, you know, famous for being in touch with the uh, regular people. Mm. Well, you know, they're better than poor people. That's why they're rich. So that's why they should be in charge of money people. stuff. Oh, yeah, thank no, that makes you. sense. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes mm. I forget my place. Um, so <laughs> also fine and normal, um, I have to say, was the 2018 appointment of a company that is definitely competent and not evil, Serco, oh, to run NDIS contact centres for two years in Melbourne and Victoria. Do you, do you guys know Serco by any chance? <laughs> the ones who torture those refugees, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And they also yeah. maintain some of Melbourne's public toilets. Um, real, Seriously? Uh, yes. Serco <laughs> do a little bit of everything. Uh, yeah. yeah, they run Centrelink, I think, in some places. Yeah, too. they run some yeah. Centrelink. Yeah, it was one of their call centers that was cut, that was closed down after like a coronavirus scare earlier this year. But they like refused to close it down, and um, yeah, they just that always that Box Hill one or I can't remember where it was. Mm. Um, we discussed it in a previous episode, so. We were mm. we knew more about it at one point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's definitely like um you know normal a normal thing to do to yep. get Soko to come in. Uh so 2018 was a pretty busy one because it was also reported that the NDIA had a budget of 10 million for legal services, get this, <laughs> that are employed to attempt to prevent people appealing for more money under the oh, scheme. Yeah. And to prevent so them gross. from accessing the scheme. What's so cooked about that is that somebody has crunched those numbers. Yeah. Be like, 10 million will be cheaper than, than what helping a- people. Exactly. Spend money to save money, I suppose. I mean, that is almost certainly what happened. But also, I have such low expectations of the libs that they might have just decided to do it even if it was unprofitable, just to fuck with desperate people. Would not put it past them. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of fucking with desperate desperate people, mm. um, I also want to point out that this year as well, the Morrison government set up a drought future fund for farmers using $3.9 billion repurposed from the NDIS. Gross. Yeah, I remember $3.9 million? Billion. Billion. Mm-hmm. Fucking hell. Mm-hmm. Fucking hell. So that's like what, to me, this is pretty devious because, you know, they can uh, justify taking money from it in a certain sense because they're helping farmers Mm. um, Mm. and not just straight up ripping it out of this scheme. I think is their thinking. I don't know. They think people might complain less if it's going to help drought relief. What do you guys make of that? Being pro-farmer is one of the, like, backbones of the Australian culture wars for the conservatives. Like, mm. it, it, it's just, it's become, like, a catchphrase, like, our diggers or whatever, or, like, support the troops in the US, like, support the mm. farmers here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's totally just, like, a rhetorical cover for this clearly fucked thing. Mm. Um, and But I think, you know, the 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 flip side of it is, like, that they seem to think that they can rely on a total lack of public outrage from diverting funds away from disability services Mm. for people, which is Mm. also extremely dark and upsetting. Yeah, totally. Um, 
So crucially at the time, uh, Physical Disability Council of New South Wales Chief Executive Serena Ovens likened the move to, quote, stealing from Peter to pay Paul. I mean, I feel that, you know, sounds pretty sexist, but whatever. <laughs> um, saying the funds should instead be used to ensure the NDIS would be sustainable in the long term and that Australians with disability were given what is required to have a normal, reasonable life. Um, and she remained, remained unconvinced by the government's insistence that the scheme remain fully funded given it was forced to scrap a Medicare levy, uh, increase and tend to raise $8 billion for the NDIS over four years mm. uh, after failing to secure support in the Senate. Quote, the government is saying they've got enough funds to manage it, which is all well and good now. If you have the funds, great. But in two years' time, the government might not be in the same place and therefore might not have the funds to put aside, she said. And guess where we are now, folks? Two years in the future and a horrible future it is. I really, really, really hate it. Um, <laughs> uh, I also want to note that it was widely reported that the surplus seen in the 2019 federal budget was boosted by a $1.6 billion underspend on the NDIS. Yeah, yeah. Um, so disability advocates noted that some of the savings might have been the result of tightening criteria for accessing, accessing services. I think another part of it was that thing that you mentioned before about the cap on the number of employees of the NDIA, yeah, which just correct. means that the NDIA is a huge bottleneck for all kinds of like processing. Mm -hmm. And so probably a bit of, not all, but a bit of that, uh, what was it? 1.6 billion mm -hmm. um, would uh, might now be going to people who applied before then. Um, so anyway, that's, yeah, maybe not so yeah, important. But. Yeah, that was noted by um, a lot of advocates at the time. Um, uh, so yeah, that that might have been them tightening criteria for assessing services. Um, and it could also have meant that people that were eligible for the scheme no longer were. Mm. Um, so that's been particularly a huge issue in relation to um, autism spectrum disorders. Um, so when plans are reviewed, they are reduced or gradually trimmed back with often with little mm. or clear rationale as to why it's happened. Mm. Um, so in addition, the peak body for disability services in Australia, national disability services has estimated that the NDIS may owe up to 300 million to service providers. Mm. Um, as 12 month plans expire, people continue to receive um, services were waiting for a review from the NDIS, which results in unpaid bills. Um, and multiple specialist services are closing due to not having block funding anymore, mm -hmm. making it a lot harder for um, participants to be able to use their packages. Mm. Um, so anyway, that, my friends, is a bit of a, a bridge version of some of the financial fuckery that's been afoot for some time with this. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, there's a lot more, but you can kind of get the idea um, that... It's constant and every way they can. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Constant so, sniping and undermining. Yeah. Yeah. They've re they really hobbled it from the start um, and continue to do so. Like almost as soon as the Abbott government got in, um, they set it up to fail, really. Mm -hmm. Um. So, but as an aside, I thought you guys would be really interested in this. It's really weird. Um, in 2017, the NDIS developed a virtual assistant called Nadia, which took the form of an avatar using the voice of actor Kate Blanchett. Did you hear about that? No. <laughs> Her greatest role yet. <laughs> I think it was developed by the, had something to do with the people that did Avatar 
that movie or something. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, sure. That it's so weird. Um, it cost three point five million and was abandoned to get this. Um, the Census and Centrelink's robo debt debacles having stymied the government's appetite for risk. <laughs> what? <laughs> I d- That's wild. I know. That's um, amazing. I, How is that not I, a bigger story? I don't know. This is the first time I've heard of it. But, like, I kind of think that smart AI could actually work really well for that purpose if it was done properly mm. in a way. Um, but I think the remarks from the ABC kind of hammer home this point I'm making, quote, Nadia wants active promises to deliver massive savings. The NDIS contact center fields about 6,000 calls from a client base of 32,000 clients, costing $25 each call. So participants in the NDIS will go to 460,000 over the next three years. Um, without Nadia, the agency believes it will not be able to meet the demand for information from NDIS clients. And now that mm. was from three years ago and the quote's right. Um over 277,000 people already accessed the scheme in 2019, and that's pretty much set to double um, as we approach full rollout this year. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, Nadia could have been useful, maybe. I don't Too know. Too risky. Too risky. Um, so skimming over a bunch of stuff, anecdotally, some people in the community have expressed that they can access some services and items they deem like pretty useful um, if they're given the correct assistance and pathways to get there or they're able to self-advocate. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, many others don't get the funding help and equipment they've applied for or just a bit of it. Um, mm-hmm. So probably, as you might know, we can put that down to the gutting of infrastructure, staff and facilities from the beginning um, and pathways accessing that can, like any service, be obscured um, by someone's location, familial mm, support mm. networks, physical financial access, socioeconomic status. Mm. Um, so I myself have not tried to apply for the NDIS, um, even though my condition um, is listed there in some places. Um, but as I understand it, it's a really long and convoluted process, mm. like anything to do with the government and Centrelink and that kind of I'm in of the stuff. process of applying for it at the moment. And Are you? Um, uh, yeah, I've, I'm getting assistance from a service provider basically. So I've had to do basically nothing and mm. it's still fucking hard. Um, mm. Is so, that a yeah. local area coordinator? Um, it's f- for me specifically, it's NEMI, Northeast Alliance for Mental Illness, something mm-hmm. like that, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is the sort of disability I have. Uh, I'm, I think they might also be a local area coordinator for service provider that's how it works right they, the lac connects clients yes. with providers yeah yes. so i think they also do that but that's not what they're doing for me just at the moment yeah yeah so some of those some of those um lacs from what i understand it are okay um yeah, yeah. and some of them are in it for the buck yeah, shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so people are assessed um, for the NDIS using documents from their own familiar and trusted healthcare professionals. So that would be neurologists, psychologists, occupational therapists, etc. Um, and I've seen people drag out giant phone book sized files mm. of their medical stuff that they have to provide. Um, and obviously the cost for that is pretty prohibitive. Mm, mm. Um, even with chronic illness, like I have, you know, it costs a shitload of money 
one of the the conversations that struck me on uh, chronically fully sick um, mm. was you two discussing how difficult it is to find a doctor who takes you seriously and actually listens totally. to you. Um, totally. And uh, I think we'll sort of get to why sort of making people interact with completely random healthcare mm -hmm. workers can be kind of fucked. So um, obviously everything's a bit cooked. And if you said, you know, maybe someone needs to have a little bit of a looky-loo into it, then you would probably be right. Um, <laughs> so they had an independent review uh, by senior public servant David Tune, who made 29 recommendations to improve the operation of the NDIS. Um, so the government actually said that in theory they support or support in principle, whatever that means, all of the <laughs> fairly decent recommendations made in the report, um, which the NDIS minister is the, you know, a dude with two first names and a, kind of a goblin king type of person. Stuart um, Roberts, avid Stuart Robert. surfer of the internet. Now, I, at the bottom of our Google Doc, put a little surprise for you guys there about Ooh. Stuart Roberts. Um, which is a fact I did not know. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> now, can you kind of describe to me what, what I've sent to you? So this is a, uh, book where you've sent us to the Google books, uh, yes. link of yes. a book by the Honorable Stuart Robert MP, Correct. which is the name given on the title. That's the author name. And it, it's called In the Footsteps of Jesus. A chronological journey through the Gospels set in the geography, politics, people, power, culture, and history of the... That's where the title ends on the website. Yeah, yeah. yeah but... Uh, but I assume it's like of the Middle Eastern time of Jesus or something. That sounds mm -hmm. great. I actually really want to read this. Uh, I've been <laughs> learning a lot about uh, Jesus and the times in which he lived. So I might I might uh, give this a hot go. I'm just yeah. scanning his um, biography. He's married I to his beautiful wife, Chantel. And has Aww. three sons. He loves four-wheel <laughs> driving with his family, paragliding, learning Chinese, playing the piano, and serving in his local church. Buy my book. I mean, most <laughs> people are married to their spouses. Beautiful <laughs> To their beautiful wife, Chantel. I know yes, I am. Exactly. <laughs> that, is a, that is a lovely surprise, Joe. Thank you. That, that's oh, an I excellent need, like, I knew you'd like that. I love that on the front cover it actually that. says, Honorable Stuart Robert. Like, yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, he's... Get your hand off it. <laughs> he's going to have to reprint when he gets inevitable, when he finally like <laughs> resigns in shame from one of the numerous criminals. I think you're making a big criminal. assumption about how much demand there is for this book, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Zero reviews so far. I, maybe yeah, there will no. be demand now. I mean, maybe there will now, yep. yeah. He's, he's going to sell at least You're going to be copy. his first customer noon. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I'm write to him and tell him he's misinterpreted a whole lot of Hebrew. But that's, that'll be fun. <laughs> sweet. Um, so because we live in hell world, basically, mm. with the government that wants poor and sick people to die, um, so far that hasn't resulted in a massive boost of funding or thousands of much-needed permanent staff. And I'm going to take a wild guess and say that it probably won't. Mm. Um, so instead, it's meant that the government wants to introduce um, what they call independent assessors to test people's eligibility and plan renewals, replacing the current system of applicants um, providing their own healthcare provider material. Mm. Um, so disability, activ disability activists are really concerned about this um, and they've been really vocal about it, which is kind of where I first found out about this on Twitter mm -hmm. um, under the hashtag NDIS call. 
um, because of chronically fully sick, I see a bit of discussion going around on these issues on the feed. Um, I saw Daryl Selwood at the Dr. Daz post a video of him um, crawling towards his wheelchair on the ground um, at the front of an NDIS office, I think, um, which is meant to highlight the belief that people need to crawl on their hands and knees to get support with the introduction of these independent assessors. Um, and that kind of activism has history stemming from the Capitol crawl um, in 1990, which was 50 activists crawling up the Capitol steps in the US mm. to demonstrate how inaccessible architecture impacts people with disabilities. Mm. So anyway, there's a lot of this snap kind of action across the country on the 15th um, with heaps of calls going on, people participating under the hashtag vigils and that kind of thing. Um, so these new assessments, um, are supposed to be conducted by NDIS appointed healthcare professionals using standardized tools, whatever that means, we don't know. Um, and would use, be used to review existing plans, which is really concerning. Now the government has kind of said that it will cut a lot of red tape and develop a simpler and faster approach for determining some, someone's eligibility on the scheme. So I know that, and you all know, Noon, that getting a massive file together with a bunch of evidence is a real pain in the ass mm, mm. and really expensive and probably a barrier for access um, for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and having access to a free assessment, as this is um, paid for by the NDIS, would be useful for some people. Sure. Um, but a key part of all this is giving people with disabilities choice and self-determination. I mean, that's kind of what the NDIS is based on. So, there's, a, there's a friend of mine who's a support coordinator for the NDIS, um, mm -hmm. and I don't want to give any details about that, um, but they told me that one of the really gross things about their job is that people who are less capable of advocating for themselves get worse results. And so people who have more severe disabilities, I know that's maybe a weird idea about more severe or whatever, but like yep. people who, who it impacts their capacity to interact with the bureaucracy they're the ones who get left behind, but they're the ones who need exactly. the help the most. Yeah. And yeah, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not sure how these independent assessors will fit into that particular problem, but I can't imagine it's going to be good for those people. But anyway, sorry, please go on. Yeah, no, but it's it's not exactly clear where these assessors are coming from. Sure. Um, so it said that there'll be medical professionals like um, speech therapists, OTs, psychologists, whatever, um, and it's out for tender at the moment. And I reckon... Given so how Circo's going to get it, <laughs> correct. Yeah. Um, given how busy people are in those professions, I don't know where these would be sourced from. So, as you said, I can see Circo finding someone willing to be pretend to be a psychologist. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> mm. um, so, it's reported that these assessments will take between one and four hours um, and that time includes writing a report and some sources have indicated that the face-to-face -face time might be as little as 20 minutes. Um, another cool part is that it will take place in people's homes and involve watching the applicant perform day-to-day -day tasks like making a cup of tea, putting on a jumper or washing dishes. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's pretty fucking dehumanizing. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. Um, I was like, oh, you can make a cup of tea. I guess you aren't disabled then. Bye. Bye. And, and, like, also, as if, like, I don't know. I mean, people's condition and changes from day to day. These things aren't like, it's not just some static, this is the amount that I can make a cup of tea. Mm. Like, yeah, totally. Every day. That's 
I don't know. It's also, a pretty cool understanding. Living yeah. with a disability for a long time might have like systems yeah. to help them do the shit that they aren't getting support for. Yeah, exactly. Um, like if you're in your home, you're probably going to be more capable of performing basic tasks mm, mm. in an environment that you're used to and maybe your disability won't manifest itself as much. But I think also, and I think this is kind of the point that you're making, Joe, is that like even this little discussion about like being a cup of tea is kind of getting pulled into the trap of this independent assessor, which mm. is to think that these people might be a useful mechanism as opposed to the health professionals that the people with disabilities have been connected with for ages mm, and exactly. like the, the, we're, we're already giving them way too much credit by being critical of the the details that the whole thing is deeply fucked yeah yeah so you know if you have a disability um you know especially if you're a woman with a disability or people that have experienced violence or trauma mm. um having an independent assessor and not your trusted health health provider in your home is really traumatic mm. yeah um you know the royal commission earlier in the year let's remember um held about a week of hearings featuring countless stories from people who felt that their lives were worthless to doctors mm. or that they needed to be cured not included so it's really actually hard to find a doctor that you know, is suitable for you anyway, mm. let alone having an independent assessor. Um, I'm just going to kind of start winding up with a quote from Craig Wallace, um, who's a disability activist in pro bono. Um, it's very difficult to assess a person's full support needs based on a brief, in some cases, 20 minute interview that is going to be based on their capacities, not disabilities. I'm certainly worried that people might actually see this as a test that they have to pass. And as a result mm. may be seen as needing less support than they actually need. Um, he said he saw this as a cost cutting measure to reduce the number of people on the scheme. Noting these assessments will also be used to conduct plan reviews. He said that this called into question whether people missing out on support will go. Um, these people are going to wind up falling back on state and territory services on family and carers and potentially losing the support they need to uh, retain employment. We And crucially, this is a crucial point, I feel. Um, we've all seen the job capacity assessments and the Centrelink systems around New Start and RoboDebt and how these can go very, very, very wrong. Mm -hmm. um, we don't need that for people with disability. So... Yeah. Given the history of the government kneecapping their service, I really think um, disability activists have a right to be worried. It is a cost-cutting measure to reduce yeah. the number of people in the program. Um, to quote a friend of mine who's been very vocal about this, um, it's sold as cutting red tape, but it's really about cutting people off. Mm. So, whew. <laughs> so are that, there, can we, how, how can people sort of... Uh, show support for these uh, disability activists who are speaking out against these independent assessors? Is there, yeah, uh, sure. is there, are um, there more actions coming up or is there a petition? Totally. Um, you can just check it out on NDIS crawl, the hashtag on um, Twitter. There's a lot of stuff there, but you can send a pre-filled email depending more, uh, demanding more details and transparency from um, Minister Stuart Robert, and you can get more information at everyaustraliancounts.com.au, um, and I can send you a link that will be in the show notes, hopefully. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Pop it in there. Whoa, that was a big one. Sorry. Oh, there's so much to, to cover with that. It was a lot no, to cover. No, you did great. That's amazing. For your first ever, like, 
main segment on the show. It knocked out of the park. It was very informative. It was fun, wide-ranging. Yeah. News, no, history. And we love that, like, getting a bit of the deeper political context for the issue. Mm. But then totally. also, this is why it's relevant now, and this is where we're up to. I think that's one of the things that we uh, love the opportunity to do on this show is go a little bit deeper when we can than just the kind of day-to-day news. Um, yeah, great. And it's also an issue that, yeah, it we hadn't discussed. And um, mm. so thank you so much for um, putting in all the, the time and effort to bring us up to speed on that. Um, that was fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, we did kind of to. drop it on you when we were like, oh, you want to be on the show? And you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds fun. We're like, cool. Can you, like, write 30 minutes worth of notes? Can you just about write it? our just show like, for quick, us? Just a quick, like, essay or two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you did. I, I, uh, <laughs> I had almost no work to do this week, which was lovely. We should get a, a guest host on every time. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it is such a complicated issue. Um, and I, I just really wanted to demonstrate the fact that conservative governments have been cutting the bejesus out of this program constantly Mm. and there's no reason to think that they will stop doing it no doubt yep Mm. excellent well that brings us to the end of our news for this week um before we move on to our very special ending segment pop date we will plug our shit so you should come and uh give us reviews on whatever podcast thing you use to give reviews apple podcast is a good place to do that uh follow us on spotify hit that little follow button you can follow us on all our socials at ospol snack pod and if you really like what we do you can go over to patreon and support us for as little as one us dollar a month which will get you a monthly bonus episode plus access to our discord server and other cool stuff if you pay more money uh joe you want to plug your shit Woohoo! Okay, so um, I'm the co-host of the Chronically Fully Sick podcast. Um, you Richard's can find that. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, that's right. Uh, that's the one with the Richard Cheese uh, intro <laughs> that yeah. you guys like. Yeah, uh, it's a cover of a dis- disturbed song, so oh, that's wah! pretty good. Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> so that comes out fortnightly. Um, we have an episode dropping probably on Monday, depending on how long it takes me to edit stupid <laughs> sound effects into it. Um, I'm at Joanna J. Nilsson on Twitter. Uh, yeah, that's about it. You can Google me if you like, if you want to have a laugh. It's pretty funny. <laughs> we recommend it. Cool. Well, probably time now for our special ending segment. Oh. Now it's time for a birthday. <laughs> And I think it's proof that you were the, the the perfect choice for our first ever actual guest host for the show because you have a pup of your own, so you can be your own pup date. Oh, I love this section for you guys. <laughs> um, so I have a pup called Babs. Um, oh, Babs. Babs. She's named after Divine's character in Pink Flamingos. Mm, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. A film you should definitely show to your kids. Um, <laughs> just, just you know, you know, uh, baptism of fire kind of shit. Um, but uh, she's a pug Jack Russell mix, and I've been enjoying taking her to the uh, Northcote Golf Club uh, greens, which have actually been opened to the public to use as a public park uh, at the moment. So oh. she's been enjoying rolling around in the sand traps. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> Yeah. How about how about your pups? What's Bagel been up to? 
I mean, not a whole bunch, to be entirely honest. Um, yeah, it's been a pretty quiet week. He's been a really good boy. Uh, he's shedding a lot because uh, it's mm. starting to get warmer and it's just Sorry, like, shedding. Shedding. Uh-huh, okay. I right. definitely heard sh- <laughs> shedding too, yeah. I mean, he's been shitting a normal amount. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, yeah, nothing too much. He's, he's losing his floof. Um, he's been a really good boy recently. Just like the last couple of months, it's been generally really good. Still no update on the, the deadbolt situation. So, you know, uh, I, I keep wanting to bring in the, the follow-up to that story. This has not happened yet. Keep but, us posted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how about how about Dante? Uh, look, probably pro- probably the same. Not a whole lot of news to report. I took him uh, I took him out for a run today because he's like, you know, he's got definitely some kind of trauma in his past, and he can be weird mm. around other dogs. Uh, when he needs to go out for a run, you can't always take him to the dog park. So I take yep. him to the on the weekends when there's no one there. I take him to this business park around the corner. Where it's just cool. like basically an enormous driveway flanked by uh, warehouses, which nobody enters, and I can like kick him a ball around, uh, and he just like gets covered in filth, and the tennis ball gets covered in slobber, and um, he's like, I try to play fetch with him, but he's only really got about fifty percent of the game down. Like he understands that he needs to chase the ball, and very occasionally he'll pick it up in his mouth, but then he'll just kind of drop it and run away. And and it's like, no, 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 bro, I need you to bring it back. But every time I throw yeah. the ball, he's like super keen. He's like, yes, fuck yeah, I'm going to chase it. And then as soon as he's got it, it's like, well, this is boring. It's not even moving. This is not heck? even slightly moving. And there's nothing that I could do to make it so that Zach would throw it again. Just, yeah. <laughs> there's no way around this. I'm just going to have to leave it in this puddle of filth. Um, yeah, my dog's very uh, no take, only throw with a ball. So. <laughs> yeah. Every dog has their own uh, equally impractical system, which makes it just as difficult to play fetch with them. Um, But I could tell that he had a good time because he carried the ball home himself, which he rarely does. Cute. I love it. Oh my god! Hold things. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. My favorite thing in the world is when dogs carry their own things, or (laughs) when they have a backpack of like their things. (laughs) Anyway, I've been, I've, I've got a backpack for Bagel, and apparently weighing it down can make a really big difference to a how like much exercise he does on a walk, and b like how much attention he pays to stuff because they have to like manage their balance way more actively. So he's going to be like less alert. So maybe maybe we should give that another go because it is extraordinarily cute. (laughs) And that's what it's all about. Oh, thank you so much for that pup date, Joe. Oh, thanks for having me. And thanks for coming on the show as well. This was great. I had a a really fun time and I really enjoyed learning about the stuff that you told us about. So thank you. And yeah, you you put in so much work for the show notes. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You made it so easy on us. Um, Such a delight to be on here. I'm very pleased. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure that you go and check out Chronically Fully Sick. And aside from that, I can only recommend that you continue to snack in the free world. Woo! Uh, Lights out. Snack radio. (laughs) Turn that shit off. (laughs) 